Sandos with a less as many teeth as he had uh, this time Friday. Mike Gallagher, Sandos sidekick, talking ETSU men's basketball, women's basketball. Some other segment we won't talk about. And bold prediction recap, which I am heartbroken because I had twice thought had one of my upsets come through. Probably better for the league that it didn't come through, but still I thought I had one predicted correctly and I did not win. I don't know if I'm heartbroken or more embarrassed for both of us because we each had predictions that were absolutely blasphemous. Oof. Blasphemous. We'll We'll go over that later. Let's start on a good note. We'll go over how bad we are later. We do that enough as it is. All right, let's talk a little ETSU men's basketball. They'll be back in the old Harris Cherokee Center to take on UNCA Tuesday night, 7 o'clock tip, 6.30 pregame show on the Buccaneer Sports Network. And it is uh, really interesting that these two teams, you know, 60 miles apart, give or take. It's probably not exact, but in the ballpark. Just the 24th time these two teams have met. Did have a regular series there quite a bit um, from the kind of late 2000s through the mid-20-teens, uh, somewhere in there, like 2007 to 2015 played. Seemed like if they didn't play every year, they would play two years, take a year off, play two more years, but haven't played in quite some time. And now new head coach Mike Morrell, or I guess second, third season, whatever it is at UNCA at this point in time, from the area, from Elizabethan, uh, and played at Milligan. So certainly familiar with that. Super Bowl, Bowl Super Bowls, I would think, for him, uh, growing up uh, being kind of in the shadow of, of the dome from Elizabethan. And, you know, I know he's talked about the teams at ETSU and all that, but played at Milligan, certainly uh, had success as an assistant coach. He was on that VCU team that came in and uh, I think 52-point beatdown of the Bucks. Uh, inside the dome. So he's been on that side of it before. Yeah. We'll see as a head coach how it goes. But they're off to a one and two start. They did play one Southern Conference team in Western Carolina. Played them uh, over in the Kimmel Center, which is the new on-campus uh, arena, which ETSU still not played in. They played in the old arena, the Justice Center, which only held about 1,100 for many years. And if the popcorn burned, it would stink up the whole place. And you do a whole burnt popcorn smell for two and a half hours or whatever it is. So uh, interesting part, they were down by 20, I think, on three different occasions. And were still able to come back, get it to overtime, not pick up the win, but they did beat South Carolina State. It's an interesting Asheville team because they had a lot of guys returning, or at least on paper coming back. Two players hurt, two of their bigger players. One uh, in Baker, Devon Baker, who is a 1,000-point scorer. And then you had Cody Jude. And now Jude did play three minutes and kind of mop-up duty for South Carolina State. But those were two guys that scored a lot of points for UNCA. 
they've been able to really put together some guys that, that put some outstanding performances. And they've got three different Tennessee guys on the roster. But Tajon Jones is the only deep threat they've got. 11 of 26 from three. He's had back-to-back 24-point games. He's averaging 20 for the season. He certainly can fill it up. But besides him, 11 of 26, they have nobody else on the roster with more than two made threes. And so it's a team that's going to try to get the ball to the glass. They're going to try to get to the rim. Not a very good free throw shooting team, just 40 of 70. Still interesting to see how this is going to go because with Jude coming back, he's an outstanding three-point shooter. His numbers are skewed because he just has only played three minutes. And then if Baker comes back, who certainly has proven he can score over 1,000 points in his career already and did it you know, in his junior season, so he's been able to figure out how to put the ball in the basket. It will be interesting to see UNCA and if those guys get worked in if they are healthy. If they're not, it's sort of business as usual what they've done for the first three games. I thought it was very odd that Jude only played three minutes because by all accounts and people that keep up with mid-major madness, the mid-major scene may have seen in August the story was written about UNCA and the resurgence that they're having under Mike Morrell. You had Nick McDivitt. I'm not, you know, so uh, from the area or been around the area as long as you have, obviously. I didn't know Nick McDivitt was at UNCA before he went to MTSU. Had a lot of success at UNCA with the NCAA appearance at CIT and NIT. And Morrell struggled that first year, 4-27. and Obviously, you know, you've got a new regime, and it takes a little bit of time. They had some injury issues, eight players that started uh, six or more games. Um, so you look at the next year, and they were 15-16. and 16. That was last year with six more league wins as their starting five was the same every game. So health has been a lot of the thing. I think Morrell kind of instilling his system and just getting that program to where he wants it to be and doing things more his way. But I thought it was very odd that Jude, along with Baker, we've seen them termed as minor injuries in the press. I thought that Baker would be back when Jude would be back. Just looking at that scouting report, Jude returns for three minutes. Again, very strange. A couple of those minutes were in the first half, so it wasn't like he just came in and played a little bit at the end and was kind of an afterthought. They tried to work him in. really didn't happen a whole lot. And he, along with Baker, have really been those pieces, those building blocks for UNCA that have helped them get to a point where I think a lot of people think that UNCA could have a breakout year. You, know, you see the progression from 4-27 and 27 to 15-16, and 16, and now – in the third year of Mike Morrell, as you said, the Elizabethan native, I think people are looking for that big jump, right? Can they get to 20 wins? It's, I think, a lot easier, and correct me if I'm wrong here, this is just my opinion, I, I think it's a lot easier to get from, say, a single-digit win team to right around 500 than taking that jump from, say, a 15-16 and 16 to a 21 or 22 win team. So is Baker going to be back? We just don't know. Like you said, 1,000 points for someone that does a lot of things for you on CA. Jude is back. What will he be able to contribute um, not a good shooting team, as you said, aside from Tejon Jones. That could be helpful for the Bucks because in that first game against Abilene Christian, who to me looks a lot like a UNCA. Now, Abilene Christian, I think, is going to be farther ahead than UNCA, but in terms of what they had back, right, Abilene Christian was returning, I think, eight of their top nine scores. UNCA brings back everybody that averaged two points per game or more last year. And while they've been without Jude and Baker, which, as you can see, they're not really whole without those guys, right? Like, they need those, two because they've been the heart and soul of that team. Um, both teams had a lot back. And both teams were not really billed as top shooting teams in Abilene Christian and UNCA. So will ETSU be able to limit the Bulldogs at the arc, unlike they were able to do against Abilene Christian? I think that South Carolina State game showed a little bit more what UNCA can be. We know South Carolina State isn't exactly a team that's going to tear it up. It's 77-56 to 56 that win. 
over the weekend. Um, I'm just very interested to see what they do with Baker if he's available. And working players back into a rotation, as I think you saw with Jude, can be tricky. And ETSC is going to bring a lot more to the table than South Carolina State did. I think that if Jude does not play a lot, as he didn't against South Carolina State, this is a real chance for Richard uh, Amafale and Silas Adeke to have some success inside. Jude is 6'9", only 190, though. He doesn't bring a lot of beef inside. Uh, Claiborne, Thorpe, and Battle. Uh, that's LJ Thorpe um, and the others, Claiborne. And battle six 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 five six five are their other post players. Yes, they are athletic, but I don't think that they're anything to the level of say a Terry Taylor that ETSU faced in Austin P. One thing interesting about Claiborne, he's he's kind of new. He's the grad transfer. Uh, NC Central, right? Yeah. Then so you know, playing for uh, Lavar Moton, he certainly has some skill and stuff. I think Lamar does a great job with that program, and he's been an animal as far as you know. He's fifteen of twenty three. He's seven for eight against South Carolina State. The only real issue with him, <coughs> he alters shots, block shots, all that stuff, is foul trouble. Fouled out of the first game of the year. Uh, actually fouled out West Carolina. The first game against UNC Wilmington, he played limited minutes because he had four fouls. And so he was able, at least South Carolina State, to stay on the floor. I think he just had one foul. But he was able to stay on the floor, and then you see the production, seven of eight from the floor, certainly on the glass. Uh, he And the battle's the real guy, I think, that, there's not a Terry Taylor I think we'll see this year. But right. if you were, as far as a guy that can go get it on the offensive, it, it's uh, Jamon Battle. And he does a great job of going to the glass. Uh, 12 offensive rebounds so far, keeping plays alive. Uh, Trent Stephanie is a guy that um, at least the last name should sound familiar, especially to you, Mike, calling the women's game. That's a Najee Stephanie's brother. Who Najee played here four years. Just graduated last year or year before. That's right. Yeah, last, last year. year yeah. Yeah. You know, listen, COVID and things have happened. So um, you look at that, he's talented. The distributor of the basketball leads the team in assists, 15 assists. He has six steals, really pressures it. And that's the one thing you will notice. If you remember uh, VCU, Shaka Smart, all the things that they want to do, that's similar to what Coach Morrell is trying to do. It's not a full tilt pressure, as you would see with VCU, the, the, the havoc or chaos or whatever these people call the names uh, that, that they've come up with the press and whatever they do. They will get into that, though. They will do some things. They will try to get some pressure. And to me, if they've watched any film whatsoever, I think they're going to pressure the guards of, of ETSU and, and maybe even David Sloan. But once Sloan goes out, what's Marcus Nivelet going to do? If he's out of the game, is it Truth Harris? Is it Ladarius Brewer on the point? What, what is exactly going to do? So I think it's going to be important for ETSU to stay patient, get across the timeline, try to get in the offense. I think ETSU will get good looks watching um, all the Western Carolina game and just spot – UNCW and South Carolina State, they should be able in the half-court game to get some open looks. I think they'll be able to have chances at offensive rebounds, but if they turn the basketball over in the backcourt, obviously allow UNCA to get some free, easy uh, freebie buckets, then I think that's going to change the complexity of the game. So I think it's going to be imperative that ETSU take care of the basketball. Yeah, I think the two statistical categories that you look at over those 11 days that you scratch your head about and kind of avert your eyes when you do see them are the assist to turnover. You know, 26 to 58 is what ETSU had at the Gulf Coast Showcase. And 16 of 72 
from outside. This could be a great chance to find yourself offensively, like you said, if you're able to have that veteran leadership of a David Sloan in the backcourt to be able to handle that pressure, get it across half court. If you break a press like that, you're going to get those open looks. And I think Jason Shea was relatively happy with the looks that ETSU got at the Gulf Coast Showcase as well. You were there. You saw him. Uh, I don't think that if you give ETSU 72 threes at a place like the Gulf Coast Showcase again, and I know it's the first three games of the year and the offseason has been what it is and everything's just going to take longer, right? But you give them those looks, they're probably hitting more than 16. I don't think that you'll come across another three-game stretch this year where they're shooting 22% from beyond the arc. So the assist to turnover, if you can clean that up, 58 turnovers, that's 19 a game, uh, just too many. 26 assists, string passes together, play together, you know, work your way up the court against a UNCA press that, um, you know, will cause problems for teams, I think, especially in the Big South this year. And, you know, knock down your shots. I think Damari Monsanto, this is a big game for him, right, because he's had 11 days to think about a 23% shooting performance down at the Gulf Coast Showcase, 6 of 26 and 3 of 18 from outside. And we haven't talked about it a lot. There's no reason to go into it a whole lot. But he just didn't have as much time to prepare himself as everyone else did for those season openers. So what have you worked on over these 10 or 11 days? You know, what has Jason Shea gotten these guys in the gym and really started to you know, instill in their heads? Now he knows what he has, right? He's seen this group three games together with varying results, and there's plenty to work on. There's also, I think, plenty to feel good about and plenty to be happy about going into this contest against UNCA. Um, UNCA is not historically a very good defensive team. So this could be a get-right game on the offensive side of the ball, and, and I think it's a really important one because if you're able to win this game, get to 2-2, two and two, then all of a sudden you've got UAB, North Carolina A&T, UVA-wise at home, and I think all three of those can be wins. I haven't dove deep too far into UAB yet uh, or North Carolina A&T, but I think knowing the product that the Bucks can put on the court, what this group is capable of, you could be 5-2 and two going into Alabama right before Christmas. So if you're not able to take this game against UNCA on the road, and this is a much different group than you've seen a lot of times, obviously, with the Bulldogs, uh, then you're starting to talk about you know a situation where you're trying to scrap and get back to 500 and going into an Alabama you know on the 22nd where um, – you're going to want to put up a good showing right before Christmas so things don't slip out of control. But I think it's a really big game for the Bucks, not only in the non-conference, but moving toward conference season. I think you get in a rhythm, too. They, they played three straight days. They would like to have some time off to correct some things. They didn't get to do it. Honestly, it probably was better for the players if they could just get back out on the floor. I'm sure coaches would always like to have more time to prepare. But you get a little bit of a rhythm, right? You play the 8th, the 12th, the 15th, the 18th, the 22nd. So you're getting into three, four-day span that you're always going to play a game. So you've got a chance to play, you know, day off work on yourself, game plan, play. You know, rinse, repeat, get going. Also, I think, although no fans, ETSU has been very successful in the building that they're going to. It's a place that they are familiar in playing games in. Since 2014-15, Bucks back in the SOCON, they've had 15 games in that building, the Harris Cherokee Center. Do you want to guess what the record is real quick without doing a whole lot of math? Since when? 2015-16? 14-15. 14-15. 15 games. 11-4? and 11-4. Perfect. Right Bang! On so, it, you know, pretty good winning percentage in a place that you've owned. It would be a home game for ETSU if they allowed fans. No doubt. It would be. Even it, in their it, own city. Even if it was in Kimmel, it would probably still be <laughs> right. an ETSU home game. Uh, the difference is you could get more fans uh, and more people. UNCA may not be willing to uh, drive 
from the campus to the Civic Center, which is like an almost like an hour. It's like a mile away. Certainly not an hour. It's a mile away. So you could walk there if you needed to, and I don't think they would have. I think ETSU fans would have dominated. So the home court advantage thrown out the window playing in Asheville. It's going to be in a building there for a minute. Now, again, a lot of ETSU players like UNCA's players have not played in that building. Um, you know, and I think I don't think UNCA did not get a chance to play there last year. I think they did play a game the year before, so there's probably a couple people, you know, in ETSU who are looking at Bonnie Patterson and um, I guess Charlie. I'm trying to think if Charlie got in. Even if he didn't, Charlie was there, was on experience, and so did Jordan Kaufman. But other than that, you know, I think ETSU is very familiar with the setting. You know, it's a place that our fans, I know, desperately wanted this series to kind of pick back up. They desperately wanted to go there. Uh, but it will be interesting to see how ETSU and UNCA, uh, considering no fans and everything else, and ETSU just came off that. I think UNCA didn't have any fans. They allowed some student-athletes that have been testing uh, to watch the game against Western Carolina. It looked like there's probably 15 people watching the game against South Carolina State. So both teams are familiar with that scenario. But I – It'll be fun uh, tomorrow night, 7 o'clock, 6.30 airtime here on the Buccaneer Sports Network and to see exactly will ETSU be able on the layoff to sort of build off MTSU or is it a situation, again, where it would have been better to play a game going into that. But after this game on Tuesday, it's it's more rhythmic. And I think all athletes are a little bit more rhythmic and would like it to, to take shape. Now, again, that's all um, – considering the fact of COVID, everything else, everybody tests right, everybody does whatever, then you're able to get in a rhythm as opposed to where some schools, like we'll talk about in just a second, when we shift gears to the ladies, it certainly affected the, their opponent tomorrow night and it's changed some things. Look at the magic number for ETSU men's basketball to be 75. That's what UNCA has given up in each of the first two years under Mike Morrell. That's a number that you and me have talked about in the preseason watching this team and even here on Santos and the sidekick that the Bucks. it seemed like, you know, if they could get to that number, you'd be comfortable with that offense. If they can get to 75, especially if there's no Devon Baker, we'll see what, what role Cody Jude plays. Uh, this is a chance for the Bucks to really – find their flow offensively and have a blueprint going forward to this rhythmic portion of their schedule, as you mentioned. Well, and to your point, the two teams that beat them this year scored 76 and 83. So, you know, you get 75 so far, 0-2 for the Bulldogs of UNCA. Of course, the Bucks have been very good defensively. They've only given up 70 points once to Abilene Christian. They've kept everybody under that, including the 43 points they held MTSU. See if they can put on that defensive display against the Bulldogs. Step aside for a time at when we come back, shifting gears, still on the hardwood, we go from the men's side to the women's side, if I said that correctly. I don't think I did, did I? Women's basketball, ETSU versus Vanderbilt. We'll talk about that after this from San Jose Sidekick on the Buccaneer Sports Network. Over the last 70 years, Johnson City Power Board has had a few different looks, but we've remained the same trusted partner you rely on. Now, we've changed our name to Bright Ridge to match our vision to deliver on our promise of great service you can count on. Embracing common sense technology to strengthen the communities we serve. We're glad to be your public power provider. Bright Ridge, new name, renewed promise. Learn more at brightridge.com. Santos and the sidekick back with you. Jay Santos, Mike Gallagher talking ETSU women's basketball as they will take on the Vanderbilt Combine Awards tomorrow. That is 8 Eastern or is that 7 Eastern? 
8 Eastern. That's what I thought. I was just double checking. 8 Eastern. Follow down live stats. We'll keep you up to date on the Buccaneer Sports Network. If you listen to me on the men's broadcast, we'll be giving regular score updates for ETSU versus Vanderbilt. On the women's side, Vandy, three games canceled already. Tennessee Tech, Middle Tennessee State, and Texas Tech. So if you have a TTU, you are not going to play Vanderbilt. That's uh, all I've learned. Uh, and it, it is interesting. They have scheduled all T, TUs at some point. Tennessee Tech, Middle Tennessee, right? There's a TU Fascinating there. And Texas down. Tech. Yeah, and now ETSU. What do you great, think of that? That's great analysis. It, you do not get that anywhere else in America. <laughs> Here's the one thing I'll point to real quick and, and let you uh, get your thoughts run with it, and I'll banner back off that. But first thing that jumped off to me, number one, they just played the one game. Right. And it seemed like they certainly struggled where Little Rock had a couple of games under their belt and was able to get some going. So, obviously, I think an advantage ETSU playing an extra game has certainly helped because – Vanderbilt had to have the shutdown, had to wait and get everybody going. The second thing is where ETSU just got done playing Tennessee and all the height, size, and speed advantage. And, yes, I think, obviously, a different caliber athlete in the SEC at Vanderbilt, but the height and some of the size maybe not so much compared to what you just saw at Tennessee. Outside of one player who is well, the six, six foot six. Foot six. I yeah. think that's Emily Bowman, if I it remember is. right. It is, yes. Emily Bowman, six foot six. Let, let me rewind here. So uh, – my wisdom teeth, Friday. Yeah. Follow me on this. Okay. So I may be completely off the deep end here, and this is why. So really haven't had any issues. They gave me hydrocodone. You know, didn't take any, didn't need the heavy-duty pain meds, had some ibuprofen here and there. The only odd thing that happened was, you know, went in, put me under, don't remember the countdown from 10 back to zero or anything, just was out all of a sudden, woke up in the Walgreens drive through I don't know what happened between when they started pulling teeth and the Walgreens drive through getting. You were not driving for the right. I was not. Okay, let's just, let's, let's just get yeah. this. Okay. If I behind the wheel and all of a sudden. I just want to backtrack. Yeah. The way you worded that, I just want to make sure everybody knew you were not driving. No, in the passenger seat, thankfully. So I go and take a nap. It's like, you know, one thirty on Friday. I wake up at like 2.15 and I have to cough. You know, you kind of disoriented out of it. I have to cough and uh, don't worry, I don't have COVID. Uh, I had to cough, and I didn't realize because I was waking up, and I've never had teeth pulled that, you know, there's a lot of blood. My whole mouth is full of blood, and I cough, and blood just streams out of my mouth, down my shirt, onto the comforter on my bed. Everything's ruined, right? So I say all that to not only gross out everyone at home, hopefully you're not eating when you're listening to this, ruined your appetite, I'm sure, because you're always hungry. Uh, So I come to, I haven't taken any of the drugs, and I start to do some research about ETSU women's basketball and Vanderbilt. I'm like, you know, Tennessee, 17 on the road. It was a really good effort by the Bucks. Like, you were right there, lost by four last year to Tennessee. Who was the next team that you played that was a power five? Remember, it was Wake Forest. Okay, 67 to 60, you got the victory. All right, so let's look at these teams, right? Tennessee, third in the SEC last year, tied for third in the SEC last year. Vanderbilt finished third to last. Look at ETSU's effort earlier this year against Tennessee. You lose by 17. Next Power 5 opponent, Wake Forest, 67 to 60. This year, the next Power 5 opponent is Vanderbilt. What colors do each of those schools wear? (laughs) Black and gold. Wake Forest finished third to last in the ACC last season, just like Vanderbilt finished in the SEC last year. And you look at those two teams this year, and they're both projected in the bottom three of their conference. So I, I just want to know, Jay Santos, if you think I'm crazy or if my argument that Wake Forest and Vandy, both finishing third to last in their respective leagues last year, ETSU playing Wake Forest after they played Tennessee last year and beating them, and now playing Vanderbilt after 
not nearly beating Tennessee. It wasn't as close this year, but I'd say a really good effort on the road. You go from losing by four at home to losing by 17 on the road. I think those are pretty comparable results. And you have Ja'Kaiah Davis and Micaiah Dowdell have a good homecoming against Tennessee. Could Kaya Upton going back to Nashville have a good homecoming against Vanderbilt? Plus, you've got a team in UALR coming off, or excuse me, in Vanderbilt coming off a loss to Little Rock on the road by eight. Last year, Arkansas Little Rock, 12 and 19. The Bucks, 9 and 21. Teams that are coming off down years, one just beat Vanderbilt. ETSU has, against a black and gold opponent, some very eerie similarities to last year. And you've got an ETSU team that's coming off a bad year that looks much improved, much like Little Rock. Have I gone off the deep end? Is it the meds that I have not taken? Is it the blood streaming down the mouth, chest, face, and onto the comforter? What has gotten into my head, or am I onto something? I, I think you're onto something, yes. because I always enjoy whenever you can draw meaningless parallels to things <laughs> that have no ties. So, team color. Like, yeah. my, like my TU that I've just uh, discovered in the four teams they've scheduled, right? has no rhyme or reason, and of course it doesn't affect any wins or losses. But I think there's something to be said for back-to-back games against an SEC opponent because I think you don't go – you already saw a superior team in Tennessee Vanderbilt, right? It's still an SEC program, but I think we all agree. Even to this point, Tennessee greater than Vandy. And you have an opportunity, just like Tennessee greater than Wake Forest last year. I think you have an opportunity to play this game back-to-back I think it has helped because you're able, again, they've got a couple of games in. You've seen all that size and stuff. Now you're kind of used to the speed. The difference is you should be able to get some shots off, I think, a little easier. And for players who are still trying to find their shot, let's Courtney Moore for an example, uh, Jasmine Sanders who's still trying to find, yeah, that are still trying to find their shot, should have a little easier time getting looks versus Vandy. Now it doesn't mean the game's easier. It doesn't mean everything's going to fall. But just if, you know, if you have somebody on you that's comparable to your size as opposed to three inches taller with six inches more on the wingspan, it's certainly easier to shoot the basketball. So I think ETSU certainly hits Vandy at a good time. And with COVID and everything, the way it's going to go, with cancellations, postponement, and the league, some teams are going to get advantages and others don't. You know, and I think this could be an advantage for ETSU because they haven't quite been disrupted like Vanderbilt, having to halt practices, having to stop do whatever. So I think it's a good time for ETSU to play Vanderbilt, and a lot of the reasons you say, I think you can draw some parallels, some Especially similarities. Especially the black and it, gold thing. I, that's my favorite uh, that you came up with. So because you know it matters, it's sports. It, it's if you can't beat a team of black and gold, it's like you know I don't want to lose to a team wearing purple. It's just a written rule I have in. I don't care what sport it is. I just don't like losing a team in purple. I maybe, just can't do it. Maybe more relevant to the matchup is that size point that you made because Wake Forest was much smaller than Tennessee last year. Tennessee had their tallest team in program history, and you've been around this state for quite some time, and that program you know well. You know that they've had some tall teams, and that was the tallest in the history of Lady Ball basketball. Wake Forest was much smaller. Vanderbilt is much smaller, too. Now, Emily Bowman, we talked about, 6'6". Six, six. She's big. She did play 24 minutes. You don't often find someone that is 6'6", six, six, that can stay out there for 24 minutes and put in a full effort. Um, it, it would be much like on the men's side, you know, you've got your uh, Kenny George. Now we're talking about UNC Asheville, right? What, seven foot seven? He was someone that was limited just being able to get up and down the court and end up having some um, lower body issues. I think it was his feet that ended up cutting his career short. That's just a lot of minutes for someone that big, much like a seven foot six or seven foot seven however big kenny george was on the men's side um that's a lot of minutes for someone at six foot six 
to be out there. No one else is above six foot three for Vanderbilt, and only four others on Vandy are six feet or above. They've got five total six-footers. That's the same amount as ETSU has. They showed some rust in that first game against UALR. Um, obviously lost by eight, as we talked about. Four of their top five scores are back, that being Vanderbilt, three of which scored in double figures last year. I think the key for ETSU is, yes, you got to have some shots fall for Elise Stafford and Shania Jackson. I Just because she hasn't gotten big minutes early on, I'm not throwing her season down the drain yet. I, I mean, I think that she is someone that still can provide you you know, 12 points, six rebounds a game, as we saw in conference play last year. ETSU has to continue to see the turnovers drop. They went from 32 in that first game against Longwood, obviously way too many, to 22 last game against Tennessee. Okay, Tennessee has a lot of athletes, especially on the perimeter and the size inside. You expected that number to be maybe right around your 32 that you had against Longwood, which was a team that just doesn't have the physical capabilities that Tennessee does. It was still down 10. If you can even cut four or five more off that against Vanderbilt, get down to 16, 17, 18 turnovers. Last year, ETSU forced 20 Wake Forest turnovers. They got 27 points off of those. Against Tennessee, they forced 24 turnovers, but only got 11 points off of those. They were not as opportunistic against Tennessee. If they're able to convert at a higher clip, say almost a point and a half per turnover, you're opportunistic and you're taking advantage of those mistakes that you force the opponent into. Also remember last year against Wake Forest, 0 of 13 from beyond the arc were the Demon Deacons. So with that in mind, if you can defend the perimeter like you did against Wake Forest, and at least Stafford was 5 and 9 from the field that game, Stafford defending the perimeter, cutting down the turnovers, and taking advantage of the opportunities that you have. This goes from fantasy, which I've just built over the first 10 minutes of this segment, to reality and having an actual chance to win the game and beat a Power 5 opponent for the second time in as many years. I think Shania Jackson, I'm curious to see if she's going to be one of those players that just every year as the season goes just gets stronger. I don't want to label that yet because obviously need more data. But there are people like that, that it just, you know, they traditionally get off to a – slower start to the season it takes a while to get into it and then all of a sudden you know they get to you know 10 12 games in whatever it is and then all of a sudden boom they start uh spitting out at a high level certainly she is capable i think some of the shooters you've mentioned just need a few to go down i think they'll have an opportunity on the flip side for vanderbilt you look at coy love and she out she almost had triple double yeah now the third category wasn't good but 24 points 10 rebounds eight turnovers uh, and so it was a little feast or famine, and she was all over the place. I mean, she was hitting mid-range jumpers, shooting some threes, going inside, getting to the free throw line. So it would be interesting to see how they kind of contain uh, Coy Love. There were three players in double figures overall. But really, this is a very short, limited rotation, at least in game one, for Vanderbilt. Eight players. Yeah. And, and, you know, eight players, two players with 10 and 11 minutes respectively. Everybody else, 17 or more. Really, the starting five, the least amount was who you mentioned, Emily Bowman, had 24. The other four starters all played 32 minutes or more. This is a limited roster. If you get them in foul trouble, certainly there's some issues there. But they they don't rotate in a lot like SEC teams that I think you normally see, plus just nine assists uh, to 18 turnovers uh, for them in game one versus Little Rock. The impressive part for Little Rock 19 assists on 30 made shots. I mean, really did a nice job sharing Shot the ball. 51% from the floor. I mean, that's a big number. Yeah, and, and 36% from three. So, And they, they made more free throws than Vanderbilt attempted. And we've 
talked about that on the maybe not on the podcast. I talk about that on the broadcast a lot. That's the old Bob Knight theory of if you can take if you can hit more free throws than your opponents take, you pretty much win the game all the time. You talk about the limited rotation for Vanderbilt. I, I think that in years past, that's not something ETSU may have been able to take advantage of so much because they were doing a lot of the same things, right? Kaya Upton had to play 37 minutes a game. Micah Sheets played 36 minutes a game last year. At times, you had seven, eight, nine healthy bodies, and you had to do exactly what Vanderbilt did in that game against Little Rock. And I don't know if their rotation will expand. You know, those first two weeks of the year, they were out of commission. I guess I'd say a week and a half. Will they get more people off of the COVID list, or was that a hard shutdown? It seems like a lot of places are just doing a hard shutdown. You're not getting people off of any COVID list or anything. You're not playing with um, people that – obviously you're not playing with people that have COVID, but you're not playing when others on the team have COVID either. It seems like you're taking the amount of time to shut everything down. You canceled those three games, did Vanderbilt, and so you're playing with your full complement of players. Is that the case with them? I don't have ears or eyes inside – uh, Vanderbilt women's basketball. But this year, if they are playing with eight, if Vanderbilt does the same type of thing that they just did, like you said, it, it wasn't like it was eight players playing, you know, 20 minutes. It was top-heavy. And so you've got a couple of people coming off the bench that are eight, 10, 12 minutes per game. Well, you're largely seeing, you know, the same six bodies. And you're going to figure them out pretty quick. And if you can't trot in fresh legs, much like ETSU can this year and hasn't been able to do in the past, you're going to get some fatigue. You're going to deal with some exhaustion. If you don't build a lead early and really put the hammer down on the Bucks and let them stick around, then you might be in trouble come the late game because this year ETSU can go with Ja'Kaya Davis, Micaiah Dowdell, Elise Stafford, Kaya Upton, Amaya Adams, and then you got Jasmine Sanders, Carly Hooks, Courtney Moore, Amadi Williams, Shania Jackson. Abby Carrington can play some meaningful minutes. She's only played four so far. And then you have Shante Brown and Kelly Post who have been used sparingly, but you have ten that can go out there and give you 20 minutes per night. And then you have a couple other able bodies that should you be in a tight situation that they can come in. And Kelly Post has played a lot of college basketball. You know, she's been at the Division II and Division I levels. You know, this is her fifth year of college ball. She was a North Carolina recruit. She knows – she told me that she started playing in Thompson Bowling Arena at 13 years old. You know, she's seen the big stage for quite some time. This is an SEC game. Kelly Post isn't going to back down if you need her for minutes. Shante Brown – Granted, not as high of a level, but she's done some impressive things at the NJCAA level. Abby Carrington can give you some offense. So if you have those Courtney Moores, the Carly Hooks is, you know, 3-12 from the field, obviously at least after Shania Jackson, providing you with what you need. Maybe you don't have to use all that depth. Maybe you shorten your rotation. Maybe you find the hot hand. But there's a lot more hands that can be hot this year for Coach Azell, where it seems like Vanderbilt is reeling a little bit with that rust, with the loss to UALR. I would look last year and say Wake Forest was in a semi-similar position because I think it was like a week and a half earlier they had lost to UNCG. So there are things on each team's resume, just continue this absurdly long comparison between Wake Forest and Vanderbilt, that you can point to and draw parallels to and say, look, we have to believe that we can go in here and do this because in all reality, we've done it recently and we can do it again. That game's going to be 8 o'clock Eastern, 730 Nope, no pregame show is there. All right, 8 o'clock is the uh, tip time. We will keep you up to date on the Buccaneer Sports Network as ETSU will have men's basketball playing at the same time. And Vanderbilt does not allow you in the building. No broadcast, correct? No. I tried to bark up that tree. It was sawed down. Same same thing for me in Alabama. We'll talk about that later today. Yeah. Uh, Alabama also shut yep. me down. All Very right, we'll step aside for a timeout. When we come back, it is uh, pros versus uh, Jays. I have no yes. idea what's going on there. We'll step aside for a timeout on the Buccaneer Sports Network. 
Somewhere out there, a math teacher's school loans were forgiven, allowing her to focus on paying it forward, not back. Somewhere out there, a parent is breathing easier, knowing their child's college education will cost a little less. Somewhere out there, a Hope Scholarship just helped a student open the door to a brighter future. And they all have players like you to thank for the $5.5 billion raised for education. Because every time someone plays the Tennessee Lottery, education wins. The Tennessee Education Lottery. Game-changing, life-changing fun. shower up this ridiculous segment that I usually don't know what's going to go on as Mike Gallagher does whatever it is you do. Well, I just want to make fun of you all the time, Okay, right? But let's start with something actually a little bit more serious. This is usually a fun-having, good-time segment where we compare you to all the pros out there. And we do have, uh, boy, Snoop Dogg and Bill Walton coming up. I don't know if Snoop Dogg is any much more of a pro than you. He may even be uh, less of a pro than you when it comes to broadcast, and I would certainly hope so at least. You've called a lot more games than Snoop Dogg. Bill Walton, I'm not sure if he even knows that he's been calling games for the last 10 <laughs> years, but we can talk about that in a second. Um, sad news, and speaking of Vanderbilt, we just talked about ETS women's basketball taking on Vanderbilt. Joe Fisher, broadcaster for, I think, the director of broadcasting. There's not a lot of directors of broadcasting that I think are employed by the university um, anymore left out there because of Learfield and typical um, you know, companies that have been, I think, the conglomerates, the semi-monopolies over the broadcasting industry over the last number of years, but I believe that Joe is still, as as director of broadcasting, in-house at Vanderbilt, but he had to step aside, uh, resigned after what was deemed an unacceptable show appearance. Uh, He tweeted, I have had the honor of being the voice of the Commodores for 23 years. Recently, I went on the air representing Vanderbilt at a time when I should not have. I was, he used the unacceptable, quote-unquote, unacceptable to me and the university, I write this to tell you two things, and then it does uh, go on from there. But um, coaches show, you have one tonight. You do a coaches show weekly for about six months of the year, 20 or 25 per year. Um, he's entered a rehab facility, so when he says unacceptable, I, I think you can kind of see where he's going with that. Um, I, I know you're a man that uh, likes his beverages. I know you're a man that likes his coaches shows. They don't often – intermingle uh, if they've ever ever intermingled um, unfortunately it sounds like Joe Fisher who I know you actually know from your work around this area um, sounds like they did cross paths and in a very unfortunate series of events for Joe well unfortunately that seems to be I think the number one thing that takes out people in our profession uh, is drugs alcohol vices if you will and for Joe, and Joe's been great to me. Joe, Joe, you know, I've done this 19 years and come across Joe on uh, all three platforms, if you will, men's basketball, football, baseball. And 
always been great to reach out and like a I think a lot of people in our profession and Mike you probably come across this but you know it's a small fraternity most of those guys sort of know what the grind is and so they're willing to answer a phone call and email when possible spend time with you you know and, and Joe I probably did a couple of Vanderbilt basketball games and so we did some pregame stuff ch- chat halftime postgame all that my mem- most memorable chat was when we played baseball and that 20, was that 13? Whatever year that was, 2013. 13, yeah. yeah, 2013. So I had actually booked uh, my anniversary trip for the week after the ASUN tournament, and I'd done that every year until 2013, uh, or past 2013, because ETSU actually won uh, the tournament, had a magical run with Kerry Dome, three uh, last-at-bat victories, ended up beating Kennesaw State, and they go – to the NCAA baseball tournament. So we have to cancel our anniversary trip. I just bring my daughter was uh, uh, one yeah, right at, I think, 15 months old, 13 months old. So one year, one month. And so we take her to the game. At the end of the game, and ETSU got off to a horrific first inning. There were there were two balls that were thrown to the wrong base. And I don't know that I've seen that on a Division One level still to this date. And it happened in the first inning. ETSU, I think, gave up four maybe in the first. Five. Five in the first, you know, was, was it 6-2 or something? Or it was 5-1 to one going into the seventh, but then Vanderbilt had four in the oh, okay. final So, But the five spot was tough to recover from, especially when, uh, you know, the, the hurler at the time they were uh, taking on was a third-round major league draft choice or whatever. So ETSU, rough first inning. End, end of the game, I'm sitting there, and then uh, I was already in trouble because I had told my wife the start time in Eastern, not Central. So she showed up like in the second or third inning, and, and so, needless, needless to say, this is one of the biggest games in ETSU baseball, one of the biggest games I've called, and totally wrong time. So I was already in trouble there. But we get JC, who's my daughter, and we go in there, and she's sitting on my lap wearing my headset. And I remember Joe walking in, apologetic, and like, man, you know, that first inning, and he, t- he took a five, I still have a photo of me and her that he took on my phone that I printed out that, that's. Uh, in my refrigerator in the garage, you'll be able to extra food fridge. You know, when you get old, Mike, you'll have one of those. And so it's still hanging there that Joe took. I remember he was so apologetic about everything. was like, man, I feel so bad. If you want and I'm just grinning ear to ear. And I'm like, Joe, buddy, I said, you guys are bad. And they had not won an S championship at this point, but we're getting close. I was like, you guys are here every year. You expect us to. I said, buddy, we haven't been since 1982. Yeah. It's the second ever appearance. I said, this is Super Bowl for us. Like, yes, is the goal to eventually – hopefully build off that, build off NCAA basketball tournaments, go to the playoffs and win games and try to compete for champions. Absolutely. But in this situation of that magical run to get there, just to be there in that environment, to live that moment, you know, he, he, it was weird. It shows you two different spectrums. Like, you know, he was feeling sorry. We didn't get a chance to put our best foot forward because of that. And here I am just, you know, ear to ear grinning, like this is the greatest, you know, experience <laughs> that our guys and, and team can have. So we shared a moment there and then I, football last year when we got a chance to talk before uh, the last game of the season and of course both teams were struggling to say the least and just spending a lot of time with him and him saying well I wonder if this game two years down the road will look any different and we were talking about what we would talk about what would be this fall coming up after our spring football season the odd spring football season that that's supposed to be the opening game uh, the first weekend of September ETSU and Vandy and you know getting together then and so uh, I hate it for Joe and, and it's Unfortunately, it's happened a lot in our business, 
And so it's it's uh, very sad and, and is curious to see what Learfield and all them doing because he was in-house, just like Bob Kessling's in-house at Tennessee, but a majority of those jobs will be taken out of house. And so uh, the bad thing about that is it's, a, it's, yes, it's an SEC job, so it's a good job, don't get me wrong. But the fact you don't get to work for the university, get some of the, the perks and the uh, financial, like for an example, I know a few of the Power 5 jobs, they've taken away benefits and you just work a pure salary, like, Georgia Southern, get you know, um, it was a director broadcasting job. It was like an eighty, ninety thousand dollar job, but you had it up sales. You had to do a bunch of stuff. They just hired a pure broadcaster, no sales, forty thousand dollars, no benefits. Figure out what you're going to do with yourself. And I mean, it's just a, a bad turn for our business. And unfortunately, I think um, IMG Learfield. And I could be wrong, but my guess is they'll overtake uh, that just to take a salary line item away from Vandy. But that also means the benefits and everything that somebody would get are now going to be taken away. Sad for that part of the business, but certainly sad for Joe Fisher as well, who I hope can face those issues head on. It seems like he's trying to. And, and will be given another chance because he's a solid broadcaster. Good. It, Good. It, here's the other thing. If you spend 24 years at Vanderbilt taking headshots on uh, basketball and, and baseball, and, of course, basketball, they had a nice little run, six, seven-year run of being fairly good. But for the most part, let's face it, you're taking a lot of L's and showing up every game and delivering a great broadcast and wanting to be there. I think it takes a special person. I think anybody could call for all teams that are winning all the time, right? How do you handle knowing that you're going to win two games in football every year? Sure. And Joe did a great job of that. Wish the best for him. Hopefully it does become a success story from the rough point that we're at now. I do want to close the segment with some fun. No easy transition out of that. Are but, you sure? You uh, go from one rehab to another? <laughs> Snoop Dogg. Oh, yeah, well, yeah. is he? Yeah. At one time he did. Really? Sure. Oh, wow. Well. Or not. I don't want any Maybe connection between the Maybe two. Maybe you should. I don't okay. want any connection right. between the two. I, I want Joe to get better. I do want us to listen to Snoop Dogg. I mean, we clearly know Bill Walton group. should have at some point, right? There's, there's no question okay. about that. We'll get to Bill in a second. I just am curious on your thoughts about Snoop in the booth versus Bill Walton in the booth. One person does it for a living still. The other person, I think, does it just to spice things up in a broadcast. And, boy, was it spicy. Tyson, Oliver, Roy Jones, Jr. Snoop. right. Two of my uncles So there's Snoop's analysis. I think that was about it's like, as, it's like two of my uncles in the backyard barbecue. I think that was about as good as your analysis of the <laughs> TU and mine of the black and gold jerseys from uh, from earlier during our women's basketball conversation. But Snoop Dogg definitely does bring a different element to broadcast. That is, is it one that broadcasting's uh, been missing. <laughs> I mean, that's. I mean, I don't know that you could listen to. Every uh, primetime Thursday night football game was Snoop doing that. I, you know, <laughs> I think they tried that with Dennis Miller, right, on Monday Night Football. They tried to spy and do things that were a little more no. But for some one-offs, yes. For for a, for what that event was, right, the uh, Roy Jones Jr., Mike Tyson sort of exhibition. A couple weeks ago, right? Have fun. I, it fit perfectly. And the description of that was spectacular because – I don't know what your family's like, but I, could, I, I know which two uncles mine would be in the backyard fighting, so I could see that happening. I don't know if you found some other clips from Snoop Dogg. I, I did. Uh, they weren't quite as animated, I would say, as that from the Snoop. LA, but he was on the L.A. Kings broadcast one. before, and that was okay. I, I think that was Snoop, though, at his fieriest, the, the most energetic. And, and that's what I think a lot of broadcast booths miss is that energy of, like you said, this was a – 
fun having good times event, right? Like this was um, a couple of legends that clearly have seen their better days and um, went out there and just put on a show. And so you didn't need the serious throwing right jabs and countering with this and look at the footwork and let's see what he does with leading into, you know, the power punches and things like that. You didn't need all that. Um, where with Bill Walton, you do have serious sporting events going on, but I'm not sure Bill takes it that way anymore. Today is our dog Potter's birthday. And so at the campsite this morning, we had a, a, a birthday celebration for Potter. What, what did the birthday about celebration cool. entail? human half dog on the air and this is pretty typical for the thursday and friday night uh pack 12 i guess you'd say pack 12 after dark i know it's reserved for football but they do a lot of 10 11 o'clock games and basketball on the west coast and bill waxes poetic about the pack 12 loves the conference and i thought the best part of that soundbite was that bill said at the campsite so Am I to believe that Bill is riding around like an old VW van and just posting yes. up outside the arena or in the wilderness or wherever and just traveling the West Coast and camping everywhere he goes? Because that is the final piece to the puzzle for Bill Walton. It all makes sense to me if that's true. I, I think it's very obvious he lives in a van down by the river. I think that's <laughs> 100% yes. Yes and yes. Um, I miss Bill when he was still – doing the NBA Finals. I thought Bill was really good when he took it seriously. And I'm not saying this is even bad. It's just very different. I mean, he still, if you go back and find, you can still find with him and Marv Alwards and a few others where, like, he'll say some things, still head-scratching, um, non-basketball-related. He says himself head-scratching, basketball-related every once in a while. Like, my favorite, and this was actually basketball-related, but I think Scotty Pippen took a charge one time. And he asked out loud, why would Scottie Pippen take a charge? Guys that take charges are for guys who can't play defense. And I'm just sitting there going, I thought that was part of playing. Like, I, it, was, it, was, it was a baffling comment from Bill. But he said, uh, and there's a whole quote book out there, if you, somebody has written down some of Bill's greatest on-air quotes. But that was phenomenal. Uh, I would much rather probably hear Snoop, but that's just me. Will you give me some food, big guy? That was I mean, now, if he's going to speak dog, you know, every once in a while, I am I am fine with that. So, I am looking to see if Bill Walton has ever been to rehab. And the first thing that comes up is Bill Walton's battle with chronic pain and his journey, and then in quotes, it's back. And I can't see the rest of the headline. It sounds like a terrible pun, so I'm not going to click into it. But I don't think he's ever been to physical rehab, it looks like, but not anything. Yes, yeah, it's, 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 all, it's all the same. Physical, with. emotional, whatever. It's all the same. Yeah, it's all the same. Uh, yeah, I'm not it's, quite it's sure. Okay, all right. So Bill Walton, mm-hmm. um, maybe speaking of going off the deep end, as I suggested that I may have with the TSU women's basketball's upset, thankfully you agree that I have not gone off the deep end when it comes to that, but I think Bill Walton went off the deep end uh, quite some time ago, Chase Samuels. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers have reportedly agreed to terms with free agent wide receiver Antonio Brown. Warriors, Clay Thompson is out for the season again. This time it's a torn Achilles. This one loses 27-17 to an 0-5. Now one and six. And State is a lifeless organization. Wake Forest basketball's got his name. His new coach, Steve Forbes, from East Tennessee State. And this move makes sense on a number of levels. 
conference canceled fall sports on Thursday with the hope that those athletic teams can resume in the spring. The SoCon season is done. 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 Jay told me the turkey wasn't enough on Thanksgiving. He went and got two scouts and a brownie to watch it brownie. Just disgusting. Wow. There's a new bumper for the Monday version of Old Predictions. Very, very just slanderous towards you. I mean, it's true. I, I mean, I, I don't want to. I, I, I'm pausing because I'm, I'm pretty sure he got another sub too. But I was just okay. Yeah, that's fair. Uh, you know, I've not weighed in lately, but I'm okay with that. <laughs> let's talk about our bold predictions. No, uh, oh. painfully. Oh. Firstly, let's go over the one that was close. Did you watch the game? I believe. Yes. Tennessee Tech and Western Carolina. I'll, I'll let you give the painful blow by blow. Uh, Tennessee Tech leading. By three with about a minute to go. Catamounts come down, hit a three, tie it. 40 seconds left. Tennessee Tech has a shot, miss it. Force a turnover before Western can get a shot off. Hold for the last shot, take the shot, miss the shot. Go to overtime. Tennessee Tech gets control again. Gets, uh, I think Travion McCray hits a three to tie it with like six seconds. And then Faulkner, uh, Mason Faulkner fouls. Tennessee Tech hits two free throws of four seconds, and then Faulkner goes from goat to hero as uh, he hits a contested three that's really you have to see to believe. It's uh, a little bit of a – I mean, it's not like a 70-footer. It wasn't It it wasn't like a 70-footer, but it was a tough contested shot to win the game, and he beats my bold prediction at the buzzer at Tennessee Tech, showing why they are 0-4, and and I was wrong. Just when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. I'm wrong about you not being any dumber and not being possible because that, while it was a pretty incredible loss, it was a loss nonetheless, you are still winless because somebody named OSP over Jabal Hill was your prediction, and I don't know what round it was in, but I did find... I did find on Twitter a uh, quick 20 or 30 seconds so, of OSP getting pummeled. Right, right, right. So, so who bled more from the mouth, OSP or you? <laughs> That's what I learned. I think it was me, but I only saw 20 seconds. So if this was happening over the full fight, I think it was probably OSP. It was, uh, I, I'll say this, too. It was one of those moments where I'm thinking in my head, somebody's got to stop the fight. And then, like, three seconds later, he's still getting pummeled. And then one of the announcers for the UFC fight night, and I had it on very low, so normally I could tell you who it is just by hearing the voice, but I had it on low because my wife was watching a Christmas movie, and I'm watching the fight on my phone. And he's like, like he's looking to the referee to stop the fight. So that's what fighters, boxers, all those guys will do instead of quitting, right, is you sort of give a look to the referee of like, yeah, I'm done, make the save. And he did that. And continue to take shots oh. to the face, and it was one of those where, fi- like, even I think finally Hill looked over, like, I mean, I can keep hitting him if you want, <laughs> and they were like, all right, stop the fight. So it was, it was, um, it was ugly. The the first the first round by the end of it, I, I didn't think it was going to go my way, and very quickly in the second round, it did not go my way. I think the only things worse than my prediction of Wisconsin over Indiana by thirty five or more, because yours yours were bad, right? But you had a chance with. Tennessee Tech, you didn't really have maybe much of a chance with OSP, but it got to the second round. I did not. Like, I did not. not terrible predictions. 
I think if I would have taken Duke over number 10 Miami or the Chargers over the Patriots on Sunday, those would have been the only things worse than my Wisconsin by 35 or more over Indiana. Indiana goes on the road without their starting quarterback and wins. Not only did they not get beat by 35 or more, the line was, I think, I said 14 and a half. They not only are able to avoid not covering and not getting beat by 35, they win the game 14 to 6. And Wisconsin is completely fraudulent. Only Wisconsin's fourth game of the year. Maybe they just haven't been able to figure it out. Maybe no one knows what Wisconsin is. But still, without your top quarterback going on the road to Wisconsin, a place where very few people win in basketball or football, if we're honest, going to Wisconsin is something that everybody dreads. And it improved to 6-1. and one. Uh, I misjudged Indiana, and I'm embarrassed. You were only off by 43. You're fine. 43 points I was off by. That is absolutely terrible. And again, I, I'll say this, and I've had this argument a lot over the weekend with um, what I like to call my casual sports text group that guys that like sports but don't really live it, you know, so they'll watch, you know, the big games, right? They'll watch Alabama LSU football. They'll watch a huge NFL game. But they're not watching, like, noon to midnight all games. And so they have started to figure out. So they watch the Michigan State-Duke basketball game. I'm starting to figure out, like, hey, kind of weird. These road teams are winning. And I think in a normal year, even if Indiana had its quarterback and was rolling, there's no way they go into Wisconsin and win. Tom Izzo's had a long story career, has played lots of games in Cameron. But there's a reason why he's only won one. And I think you're starting to see, if you look at even the college football and NFL slate this weekend, the amount of road teams that went on to win and the number of road wins this year are going to, even though the number of games are less, I think it's already approaching, Vegas said, the most road wins ever in a college football season. Makes sense. And so you're start, it's just it's just different. I think in basketball where you'll see it the most, I think it's in officiating. I don't think that is the case in football. I just think the momentum swings aren't as great as they normally would be. I think certainly being able to communicate and audible and talk and do other things that you normally can't do for football teams, I think basketball as well. But in basketball, where I think you'll see it a lot, and since obviously our big thing right now is ETSU basketball we're covering, I think what you'll see is when momentum goes, you'll see a couple of the calls go the home team's way because of momentum and crowd. And, you know, you could say what you want to, but there's proven facts of home teams and calls and things. And I don't think they're going to get those. I, I think the momentum swing of, you know, when you're down and having the crowd help you out just isn't there. And so I think some of that – now, I don't know that Wisconsin would have won by 35 with the crowd, but they certainly would have won the game. I'm just trying to make Mike feel better. I'll even give myself one of these. Someone check to see if I still had a brain. My other prediction was maybe even worse and hurts a lot more because I said that I'd win in all three of the fantasy leagues that I was right in the playoff bubble with. I should have known when the second play of the day came around and I was starting Frank Gore in two leagues. And he was out for the first time in, like, his entire career with a concussion. I think that he's missed two games over the last ten years, and I just happen to start him in make-or-break seasons. And this is the last week of the regular season in fantasy, 6-6. Six and six. Need Frank Gore. Concussion out. I should have known that everything was going to implode. Things only got worse when Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf somehow lost at home to what is now an upstart giant team who are... Colt McCoy. Complete, yes, Colt McCoy who hadn't won a game in the NFL since 2014. I thought that was with the Browns. Apparently it was with the Redskins. He also won some games in the Browns. Not many. Don't get me wrong. But uh, Colt McCoy and the Giants go on the road to beat Seattle. I had Russell Wilson and DK Metcalf in a couple of those leagues as well. Uh, in our league is the only one that I actually have a chance. Now, you did some good things in our league, too. I don't think you're going to make the playoffs. But I do have a chance if Antonio Gibson scores 
less than 14 points tonight to make it in one of the three. But needless to say, that is not three of three, and the pain is Just real. when I think you couldn't possibly be any dumber. It's real because I just had actual pain with the wisdom teeth, and I think this actually hurts more. You also had, I got one more game. Yes, thank you. You also had Washington over Pittsburgh, so that's tonight. This afternoon, actually. This afternoon, o'clock. 5 o'clock. Yeah, it's probably right about when the podcast will come out. I'm going to go ahead and make another bold prediction. Since yours isn't resolved yet, I'm going to say Tissue Women's Basketball beats Vanderbilt. So I've been waiting road. for that. You've built that all show. The whole show you built is the for. theme of this show, Tissue Women's Basketball over Vanderbilt. I'm going with that. We each have one going into Friday. Which so your whole that. show was to build up your bold prediction. That's incredible. Uh, pretty much. Selfishly. Because I am, I am so upset about the other two bold predictions. I need something to get me through to Friday. Uh, I still am ahead. One win, two yards, zero. I'm sure the women's team is unhappy with you going off your record. But they'd rather you not do that. Well, this year I'm like one of four, so 25% chance. Eh. Nah. Combine that with the fact that I think they have a 100% chance to win, pretty good odds. All right, we'll recap that. Set up the weekend. Stand up sidekick. Back in here, Sports Network. Cowboy up. Go play ball.